Hey, everybody. Welcome into Show Notes. Good to be with you, as always, on the pod and on the YouTubes. Hanging here with 99. 99 and I have a lot going on in our other life. So if we seem a tiny bit distracted today, you'll know why. But it's all good. All good stuff, right? Yeah. Right? Every time you say, joining you, I want to go. And also with you. Oh. The thing from church that I know that thing from, from church. John Mulaney. Oh, I, we just watched his uh, special the other night. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Okay. I saw it live. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, interesting. But yeah, I don't know. That's all I know about church. And also with you. And also, and then they sing, I have to go to, my best friend is getting married. And <gasps> she right. is. You have like 9,000 people getting married. Yeah. Two of my best friends are getting married. But one of them is doing a wedding in a church first to like, for her family. And so it's going to be like a full mass. So I'm going to have to sit through it. She was like, it's going to be a lot. Like, there's going to be, like, communion and, like, singing. And I'm like, oh, do I have to learn this? Do you have a songbook for me? I know it's the other side of life, but don't you love the way that we had the service for my mom? Yeah. Isn't that pretty? Isn't that mm -hmm. beautiful? Simple? Straightforward? Yeah. No pomp and circumstance. No religious stuff. Yeah. If that's the way it should be. It depends. You know, I mean... That's the way it should be if you're not religious. Yeah. It's hard to say that for everybody. Some people well, find it I can say it for everybody. Solace. Get away with the pomp and circumstance. Yeah, it was... And the uh, fox and the... It was very quiet. smelling salts and the things that they put all over the place. And I don't know. It's very strange. It's all very strange. I don't know what, what that's smelling is. salts. Are they trying to wake up the dead person? Well, the, the Catholic priests, they go out there and they put oh. the tea kettles with the steam and all that shit. And you're know. talking to the wrong person. Mm. I don't think I've ever actually been to a proper Jewish funeral, even. Mm. All the ones we've had for my family have been like, let's not, let's do a little bit Dude, right the, to rabbi. The Jews do it right, man. Yeah, right Ding, in the ground. Boom, out, yeah. You're done. Yeah, real let's quick. Eat. Then we sit in the dark for a week. Yeah, and just why not? Eat and drink. Right? It Nobody is can better. See, like the bags under your eyes. Everybody's just eating, hanging out. It's really, it's yeah, pretty great. It is better because yeah. we let our feelings out. Whereas I feel like... You're a maudlin type of crew. I feel like the others are like, let's, you know, let's pretend we're fine and just go, it's fine, it's fine. And then be like, do you need anything? And then the person goes, no. Then you, you do it anyway. But then they're like, oh, I said nothing. I don't need anything. And then that's right. what I'm, that's what I've learned from movies. After you've killed me, um, don't have a viewing, please. Make sure that of that's not part of it. Of course not. Thank you. I think it's weird. Unless my hair looks amazing. I'll look at and you then... and I'll like poke you. <laughs> And then I'll probably close it. What if I have one of those weird, like, after he cut a frog's head off reactions where I'm like, ah, um, to freak you out? Yeah. I want to give you nightmares. I, one way or the other, I need to give you I nightmares. I don't, I'm actually, like, interested in seeing bodies. Like, it doesn't bring me solace. Like, it's, I don't like it. I promise to haunt you. That's fine. In a good way. Yeah, as long as it's, I don't, like, I don't want you to scare me. Like, I live in fear of centipedes. They're going to roll this back in, like, a dozen years and be like, I think she killed him. Guess what? There is another fucking centipede in my bathroom. And this one came from the side of the toilet. So I, I get up and I'm like, la la la. And then I go to flush the toilet and it's there. And I literally, every ounce of oxygen left my body. This is what I did. Let me tell you. Let, let me tell you. Let me tell you what I did. Okay. I doused it in Clorox spray till it fell in the garbage can. And then I doused it more. So you tortured it. And then I threw the whole garbage can out. You did not. I did. <laughs> you did not. I did. 
put it in a bag and I left it there for my roommate and I said, there, I can't get rid of it. And so... Send help. Send help to me. There's no... I, I'm really starting to doubt that there are even centipedes I, I in the bag. I've sent you and Manny Faces pictures. The time there was one in my bedroom, I sent oh, you a like picture. Oh, like you can't Photoshop? I, I don't know. Nobody don't has even, this many butt centipedes. I don't even want to look at the picture. We Okay, this is what I also did. I recocked the bathroom. Duh. <laughs> yeah, I recocked it. <laughs> because there were too many holes in things. And I was like, where are they coming from? Mm. I Maybe, what if they're coming I, from your butt? I recocked the bathroom. I've never used a cock gun. I had to fucking figure it out. You took the tip off and just sprayed it and spread it. Well, I had to figure out not the thing and how to load it and the Even thing. I know that, and I'm not well, a yeah, but then I had the thing and I had to remove the cock. Oh, the thing. Yeah. With the thing. Yeah. Look, I, I'm i proud of my work. It got a little messy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, razor some of it off. Mm-hmm. But that's how I, li- I truly live in fear. I'll send you pictures. But what if they're coming from your butt? How would the one on the wall come from my butt? Like where do tapeworms come from? You know what I mean? Food. Maybe that's where and fecal matter in the maybe water. Maybe that's how it starts. Do you think maybe I have they're a... starting in you? I don't think so. No. No, because okay. that's a that's a terrible thing to say. If it were you, you would live in fear. Also, I'm the one that has to when the screams come on a regular basis. Now that everybody's home, especially mm-hmm. the screams that come for and it's summertime. Just on a regular basis, I'm up and down the stairs getting rid of spiders, Good. getting rid of flies, that's getting rid of ants. That's your fucking job. Get, no, it is. Ants, that's fine. I can get rid of ants. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. But this it, is how everybody's afraid I am. just freaked out. We got some ortho home defense. You mm. know, like, sure. we had the exterminator come last year, and that's literally what they brought. And I was like, I can fucking do this. And you can cock. I can cock. Mm-hmm. And I can spray. Yep. And there's an illustration of a dead cockroach on it, and I get scared every time I see it. Like, how many times do you think Manny has already clipped? I can cock. <laughs> and it's gonna come up in a highlight I reel. Don't, I never even thought about it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, getting into general notes, I want to thank everybody for the continued support and love with memberships and uh, donations and tipping. We actually activated the tipping function. I don't know what else you call it on YouTube. And we got our first little thank you support tip on wow. YouTube as well, which is kind of neat. So we're figuring it all out. We also figured out, and I'm using the Royal We as mm. in 99, figured out how to get all of our merchandise into the Google shopping environment so that people can start to look for our merchandise and the coffee. Uh, and I also want to say thank you on behalf of Amy Wallace, who reached out to us to thank us because we had a really nice uptick in the number of coffee sales. We're keeping things pumping at the reservation. Thank you so much. It was like a flood and flurry so of coffee over the last confused. couple of weeks. Yeah. I didn't know what was going over on. Over the weekend, we had like 30 orders. Yeah. It was pretty wild. So Amy says her uh, sends her, her gratitude and so her thanks. Big Mama. And Big Mama. Got to keep Big Mama on churning. She said, thank you. <laughs> what did she say? Thank you. Oh, yeah. Like that's what it monster. was. That's what it was. Um, and as far as what's coming up next. The Socialism Part 2 episode is going to come next week, not this week. In between, we have one, maybe two topical creams that are burning away in my mind. Then I want to clear the deck, get those done before, uh, as the series continues to take shape. Because I'm I'm kind of happy with where Part 2 is going. And again, incorporating everybody's feedback, which has been vital for putting this series together. So thank you, everybody, for weighing in on the Socialism Part 1 and giving us some feedback on where we can go. 
and uh, yeah, and we'll get after it. We'll hit it. If the topical cream is burning you, you have a problem. Oh, that's right. It's supposed to be relieving yeah. my itch and my I think burn. You need an ointment. Yes. Or a salve. Do I need to launch yet another version? Preparation. The ointment. Eight. On fucking ointment. What is that then? I don't know. That's if we write policy. Yes. That's next. Unfucking oinkment. What I want to do is really write the next systems theory. Okay. For how to organize the globe. You're no Ludwig von Bertlany. Bertlanthe? Whatever. Aren't you impressed (laughs) I even remembered it? I I am. That's that's, that's amazing. (laughs) This is what you're doing to me. Yay. That's okay. I know more about Taylor Swift than I ever wanted to. Did you see the thing Manny sent us about the long back? Yes. The fuck is that? She's a long torso. Uh, she has a very long back. Uh, Taylor Swift. <laughs> and that's a known thing that those guys would know. It that? must be. I mean, I feel like it's probably an inside joke. I mean, I, other people have talked about it, but clearly it's like one of those things that they have together. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. Anyway. Uh, for headlines, let me keep it short and simple. We are right in the middle of the debt ceiling calamity and the deal that the Biden administration is making with uh, McCarthy. Right now, as we speak, the GOP, the, the the radical right of the House GOP are trying to kill it. The Democrats came to, this, to their aid to get it pushed across the line through a procedural vote so that it can actually go up for a vote in the House. I mean, it's anybody's guess what this thing finally looks like when it gets across the line. But as it's trending now, it's not great. Instead of looking at any of the punditry out there or any of the the speculation, uh, we pulled a headline this week from the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, which is, let me just say, it's very anti-Republican. So it's anti-GOP. It's slanted. But they do have some research to back their claims uh, about the harm that this will do. A lot of it just chips away at some of the progress that was made with the Inflation Reduction Act, which was not enough progress as it was on the ground for anti-poverty measures to alleviate uh, the most extreme poverty in this country. So the fact that they're actually taking even more away is uh, is very troubling. One of the things that it does that you've probably heard about is that it imposes work requirements on states who help that receive SNAP benefit funding. Uh, so SNAP, formerly food stamps, do we even need to say that anymore? I feel like it's still in almost every written thing piece that I see that because people still have it in their minds at food stamps. I don't know. It, yeah. Snap is not food stamps. But. I was reading. I was somewhere and they had a sign. Oh, I think it was 7-Eleven. They had a sign about it and it said and I was like. It still said formally food yeah, stamps. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah. Of why are we? I just feel, I feel like I know, but yeah, I think we our audience probably knows. I, actually, I think they do as well. Um, I think it actually does a disservice to change the name to Snap. From what was it? Food stamps. Wasn't there like another acronym though? TANF? No. Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. Let me look. And the reason I think that is because I think you should call things what they are. I know that there's a, a, an upside and a downside to that, but SNAP, I think when, when people read that, oh, SNAP benefits were cut, that that doesn't really enter their minds when you say that like, no, we're cutting food benefits for people. But then food stamps became so such a... I guess such a proxy for like entitlement for welfare right. queens under the Reagan administration that it doesn't, I don't know. I don't I know what's I think helpful. I thought EBT cards were. Oh, and what is that electronic bank transfer? Benefits transfer. Benefits it looks transfer. like it allows you to buy groceries and other items with your cash benefits at participating stores. Right. Oh, once you qualify for SNAP, you receive an EBT card. Okay. 
I thought I thought SNAP was replacing EBT as the acronym. I don't think I it's ever part of, actually knew under it. it was called food stamps proper. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I don't think I knew hmm. that. I thought that was just like the shorthand. No, it's been a while. It has been SNAP for a while. Well, I'm, I'm I mean, EBT and using that, I guess. I didn't even like not even that I knew it was like before I knew SNAP. I just assumed it had would have had a name like like a more governmental name than mm-hmm. just food stamps. Yeah. It's hmm. too on the nose for the government. Yeah, it is. So the CBPP talks about the imposing work requirements. What's interesting, of course, is that, well, at the same time, they are cutting job training programs. So imposing work requirements for SNAP benefits and SNAP benefits often go to elderly people with health problems, people that are unskilled labor that wasn't able to keep up with the workforce. And so they're also then going to cut job training, which is your biggest hint that none of this has to do with personal responsibility and cutting the deficit. This is just purely punitive and to punish the poor. That's it. Um, as if you didn't, as if you needed that hint. Meanwhile, it would also substantially reduce, of course, the planned increases for IRS funding that was under the Inflation Reduction Act. So it's going to be easier for tax evaders and the wealthy to get away with evading taxes. So that's another gift to the wealthy class. And it cuts funding for education, research, some environmental protection policies and other programs. But it excludes one big, huge part of the discretionary budget. And I can't remember. What, what What is it again that they won't touch, even though it's going to be about a trillion dollars in about two years? What was that again? Uh, they're calling. <laughs> oh, my God. That's it. We're going away. It's the military. It might be. Oh, that's what it is. They the said, military. Excuse me. What are you talking Shut about up. us? The military is British? Yeah. Aren't they always the original military? Now you're, this is something else. <laughs> I don't think this is what they sounded like. So we know what it does, right? So it punishes the poor, saves the uh, the military funding and all that. Now benchmark that against this study that was just published in the New York Times. Poverty reduction through direct payments is basically confirmed. And they did a study over multiple years in many, in 37 countries, as a matter of fact. Here's, here's a little snippet from that. Cash grants made directly to poor families or individuals have led to fewer deaths among women and young children, according to a new analysis of more than 7 million people in 37 countries. In countries that began making such payments, deaths among women fell by 20%, deaths among children younger than five declined by 8%. Researchers reported on Wednesday in the journal Nature, The impact was apparent within two years of the program's start and grew over time. So that's what happens when you actually give people the ability to subsist and not put work requirements on them, not put all these regulatory hurdles for them to just qualify for food benefits. Some people fall out of the system and through the cracks. That is the nature of a capitalist system. If you have this system, and that's that's a, every economic system. People fall through the cracks. If this allows you to save their lives and the lives of children, why wouldn't you do it? You would have to be a really fucked up society to not just not do that, but to make it even harder to qualify for these programs, which are not even direct cash. It's insane. Hate it. Anyway, a couple of other quick headlines. There is some glo- global turmoil brewing that we're not really talking about here. So uh, the first one I want to share is from The Intercept. And this talks about uh, 
Ken Klippenstein pulled off a report that was actually leaked on a Discord server. And it came from the Israeli military uh, with chatter, uh, this is CIA chatter regarding the Israeli military. And it says that threats of war with Iran over its nuclear program are saber rattling or, more, or something more serious. It's a mystery to the CIA, according to top secret intelligence report leaked on Discord earlier this year. The uncertainty about the intentions of one of the U.S.'s closest allies calls into question the basis of the, quote, ironclad support for Israel policy espoused by the Biden administration. Uh, so Israel, with its very, very far right government, has been talking more about potentially intervening in Iran to interrupt the nuclear program there instead of us, of course, you know, we had inspectors there. It was already organized through the United Nations. Everyone was satisfied with the inspections and the result. And then, of course, the Trump administration came in and pulled the deal. And now we have to go back to secrecy and lies and subterfuge. And instead of putting it back together, as Biden said he might, Biden's, uh, I think, Secretary of State actually said, no, somebody in the uh, in the State Department said in an interview that the Biden administration would not interfere with a unilateral strike from Israel in Iran, and that they would support their unilateral right to do so. So that is more than tacit approval from the Biden administration to the far extreme right that is running Israel right now to go and attack Iran. And you can only imagine what would come from that, is if that isn't bad enough, shared two articles. One is uh, The Intercept podcast, and the other is from Al Jazeera. The Al Jazeera article talks about how India's economy has picked up dramatically more than every other industrialized nation, and Pakistan is absolutely falling apart. That is a very, very bad and very untenable situation to be happening in that part of the world where there are always frustrations between two nuclear powers. So one ascendant under a pretty right-wing authoritarian regime with Modi in India, uh, that is a nuclear power, and then a destabilized Pakistan, not good for anybody. But those are two things to kind of keep an eye on. So, And the Al Jazeera article says that the Indian economy grew 6.1% in the quarter. So they've out well outpaced even China's growth in the quarter. So they're bouncing back dramatically after their post uh, after the COVID and immediately post-COVID declines that they went through. So just stuff to be aware of and keep your eyes on. And with that, let's get into some specific feedback on email. And uh, the first one comes from Pete M. 99, take it away. Okay, Pete M., who said, My tardy contribution to the definitions game. Capitalism. We will all enjoy greater total availability of goods and services if the surplus from the production by enterprises is concentrated towards investors, founders, and leaders of enterprises because they will have incentive and capability to build additional productive enterprises. And then socialism. If the surplus from the production by enterprises is broadly distributed to all stakeholders, more individuals and households will enjoy a comfortable standard of living and will be able to reach their full potential to participate in society. Further, we will all enjoy the peace of mind feeling that we live under equitable, inclusive, and sustainable rules. It's not a switch, it's a slider. And for 50 years, we've been consistently twitching the slider towards absolute capitalism. It's time to pull it back. It doesn't have to go all the way to absolute socialism, it just needs to get a lot closer than it is. Yeah, there's there's a good argument for what Pete's talking about here. The, the slider throughout history 
And, and you'll see that just even in our brief history, the, the kind of push and pull between uh, the moneyed class interests and the interests of the, um, the masses. And typically, the only time the slider moves back toward the masses is when there is something catastrophic that occurs. Those are usually economic events, Great Depression, the multiple depressions that happened in a very short period of time in the early stages of the Second Industrial Revolution, and then, of course, the, the, the world wars that we have. So you'd hate to think that that's what it takes. It reminds me of what the very famous line from the Project for a New American Century, all of the George H.W. Bush and Reagan flunkies that found themselves out of a job got together in the Project for a New American Century during the Clinton years and basically architected what they thought would be the next century under a more conservative rule and what would have to happen in order to to realize that it was really the ultimate neoliberal blueprint coming out of the Clinton years and how to how to really amplify the successes that they were ironically finding under Clinton with Gingrich as uh, as kind of the I would say the titular head of the, the country, even though, you know, Bill Clinton had the top spot. So what you saw in the, the New American Century was they said, absent a catalyzing event, a lot of this stuff will be very difficult to pull off. Well, what they were talking about was a surveillance state fomenting war uh, with Islam in the Middle East in order to protect our natural resource interests there, destabilizing Russia and uh, beginning to uh, figure out what our long term strategy would be in Asia, knowing that they would be ascendant at some time in the new century. Uh, but they did say that, you know, in order to to effectuate these things, that there would have to be some sort of catalyzing event that would get Americans on our side. And lo and behold, 9-11 happened. That's what gave so much life to the conspiracy theories at that time, because the people that were in power had essentially drafted something that said, here's all of our plans that they did wind up rolling out. We're just going to need something incredibly fucked up to happen. So in case you're ever wondering, really, truly what the genesis of all the 9-11 conspiracy theories were, it's because these same bad actors actually put down in writing all the things that they would do if there was something horrific on U.S. soil and that it happened. So you can, you know. Wasn't the documentary Loose Change? <laughs> and the documentary Loose Change <laughs> talked about that, obviously, and then started to make up a whole bunch of other things. But the Project for a New American Century is still online. You can go look it up and see the the very, and you see all the same people. So it's Paul Wolfowitz, and it was Dick Cheney, it was Donald Rumsfeld. I mean, it was all the cast of characters that we came to know and love when uh, Bush took back over, so. The Loose Change people, um, they went to a SUNY school that my friend went to. No kidding. And um, they, she was, they came and they were like, gonna do a new documentary about something. And they were like, gonna recruit kids. And she volunteered. This isn't one of the stories where she is me, I promise. <laughs> um, it was my friend who I'm obviously not gonna say her name, but she was interested in, you know, making documentaries or just learning. And they like recruited a bunch of people and then just like never showed up or did anything about it. It was really weird. That's super weird. Yeah. Mm. I should make a loose change style documentary on what happened. That's meta. Mm. Loose. Did you watch it? Bills. By the way? No, I've never seen it. Never seen it? I just, I mean, I think when conspiracy theories were more fun, I know that's dark now, but like when it was fun to talk about, like, oh, what if, it, what if you know, I guess 9 11's a pretty dark conspiracy theory, but like, I was going to say JFK, but that's not much lighter, but it's a little lighter. Really. One no. person. Moon versus... landing. Moon landing. Sure. That one actually sort of upsets me more than 
uh, JFK conspiracy theories, but whatever. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it was a fun party conversation. Mm-hmm. I think back then, maybe I would have enjoyed it. I just never got around to it. And now I'm like, I don't even like waiting it's, it's in icky. the waters yeah. because of where it's been. Like, yeah. I think the only harmless conspiracy theories are like weird celebrity ones that hopefully don't harm them. You know, like Avril Lavigne like, died and oh. was replaced by Melissa. Paul McCartney as well. That one they created, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they lit that. So did they, though? Yeah. He said, I buried Paul in the song. Yes. Did they create it or did they kill him? No, he's alive just because he was barefoot. Mm. I think he just didn't like shoes. Mm. I don't like shoes. I don't like shoes. Yeah. Um, and loose change was, um, it's so funny because it, it's, again, it's beginning of the internet. Yeah. Proper. Like, what, oh, five ish? Yeah, beginning of the widely accessible internet. So I do think I want to, I think we consist, consistently retcon when the internet started because people will be like, and it was the 90s, there was no internet, but it's like, mm, there was. There was. There was, you know, right. chat rooms and everything. Yep. I think we just forget. I, I did the same thing. Like, I think about that I had Instagram in 2012 or like 2010 or whichever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Instagram didn't exist then. You know, and then you I'm, feel my like mind it's is new. always blown because then you'll be like, Google just celebrated its like right. fifth anniversary. You'd be like, what? They're only 50th. five. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> Probably. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. So I think I'm sure there was plenty of internet. So, and that's why I make the distinction of like widely accessible internet. Like it, it just wasn't, it, everything was harder to navigate. It was harder to find. Like if you came across the Loose Change documentary, like it, it, that wasn't easy to do necessarily, you know, when it first came out. To get the Netflix DVD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't, I think that's part, part of why it became such a sensation is because, again, just less information, like stuff just, you know, just goes, you know, viral for longer. And things go viral now, but it's everything just ends in a yeah. minute, you know. And people just were desperate for answers. It's totally so much. I get why people fall for it. It's so much better to believe someone planned that yeah. than people just are, you know, two people or a group, a small group has a sick mission versus like a government conspiracy. You know, I get why people fall into the traps, but. My belief on the whole thing is that. Fuel can't melt steel beams? There were, there was way more planning and what we didn't cover up any sort of like US government involvement, but I think our intelligence failure was way bigger than we let on. Yeah, that's And that there were bombs planted, there were alternate, you know, modes. I don't. I do think the government shot down Flight 93 because there was nothing left of it. It just went into a field, but it disintegrated. There's like, there's little pieces of the story that tell me that the government did some really fucked up things to to combat this attack at the time that they did not want to reveal to people, but also that there was way more planning involved that indicate an intelligence failure and that they had to like downplay certain elements of it. I do not think that Building 7 came down naturally on its own. I just, I think that there were, there was stuff there already. Mm. And uh, the attack was happening for longer than we wanted to admit because all the things that would have had to happen to get to that point would have been even, I think, would have freaked people out way more, Mm. you know. I was also like five, so, you know, (laughs) I wasn't doing much research then. And I lived there. And I couldn't, and my wife was still in the city and I was outside of the city and I couldn't get back to her for like a day. And it was like, it was just, and all the phone lines went down, couldn't talk to her. It was just like bizarre. I was was homesick. Were you? Yeah. That day? 
And you I, were five? Yeah. Little 99? Yeah, a little baby. I remember what I was wearing. Mm. It was my favorite outfit. Wait, you have a memory of 9-11? Oh, yeah. As a five-year-old, what's your memory? My Well, I was mad because it was a kid in my school's birthday, and I was going to miss his birthday party in class, and I had a fever, and my mom needed to pick up work because uh, she worked part-time, so she, like, took me into her office. Oh, wow. And just to, like, grab work, but it happened when we were there. So you were around a bunch of freaked-out grown-ups. Yeah, and I was, like, it. a pretty intuitive kid. I mean, it, also, I someone had, like, a TV. Do you remember that? People mm-hmm. having, like, a little portable TV. Does yeah. That, yeah. So, but that must be one of your earliest memories. My earliest memories were when I was like three. I was at a barbecue and I remember someone feeding me cherries. <laughs> yeah, not in a creepy way. It was just like a family friend who was giving me cherries. They cut the pits out. No, I spit them out. At three, you were, you were, yeah. yeah. Everybody was safe and happy with that decision. <laughs> Here I am today. But yeah, I someone had a TV and I wa- we watched it. Oh, and boy. my my aunt, my mom's sister, worked in her office too. My uncle worked on Wall Street and mm. he wasn't like in finance, but he worked, he was, I don't know, whatever. And um, he, she was on the phone with him and he said they were talking like, you know, he was obviously panicked, but he was okay. And then he said, oh my God, there's another one. And then the phone went dead. And um, then I remember, you know, freaking out. And my dad was also, I think, stuck in Queens. I think, you know, he was working, like doing something. You couldn't get anywhere. Yeah. And then I remember picking my sister up from school because she was also in elementary school. But, you know, as she was like, they wouldn't tell the kids what was going on. I remember her coming home and she was like her little 12, like 12 year old rambunctious little self or however old she was. And she was like, no one would tell us what was going on. (laughs) And everyone was getting picked up. And, you know, her friend, her friend Michael got picked up and blah, blah, blah. And they wouldn't, no one would tell me. And I didn't understand. (laughs) And, you know, so... I didn't realize how much buried trauma there was until the blackout happened about, I Ooh, think. Ooh, yeah, 2004 or three. Was I think that, it was 03. Was it 03? Yeah, the summer of 03. Yeah, my that timeline's really fuzzy for me, but I know it was after we left the city mm-hmm. proper. And I I did not, the first, the first thing I did was I went to listen to the radio because I know that AM radio is the one thing that stays on. So I went to the car put it on and there was no AM radio signal. Ooh, that's and so dystopian. Right away my head went to they got um the tower. They got um not the tower like a tower. Yeah, I can't remember who who was carrying the bulk of the the AM uh transmitters. They they're not on um on buildings. The AM it, they have to be independent towers cuz AM towers are hot whereas FM signals can be on top of a building. That's why the transmitters mm. that were on top of the World Trade Center all went out, but they were all mm-hmm. FM. Gotcha. So AM transmitters, I said, that's beyond catastrophic if an AM transmitter goes down because those are freestanding poles and, mm. and nothing was on. And I I did not respond well. And I had like a, a legitimate like panic attack. There was somebody at that's our house normal. at that time. And I said, get in your car, go find your husband and go home. Just go, just get out, just go home. They're like, all right, relax. My wife was trying to talk me off. I'm, you know, usually the calm one and she's, you know, always like running around. But in a, in a, in a pinch, you definitely want my wife. I make very poor decisions under duress. Um, it's the anxious people who always are good in panic mode. Is that, is that like a truism? Because it is yes. so true about our relationship. Yes, because I, because I'm, an, I'm very anxious, but in, I'm in, You're very in crisis, I, can be calm because I'm so used to being anxious. Yeah. 
So it's like your adrenaline, my adrenaline's like used to it. So then it just kind of like, like plateaus. Mm -hmm. And then I can like one time someone got hurt at my house. Everyone was freaking out. And I was like, it's okay. Let's, you know, let's. And it's still, I mean, it was like a, like the the happenstance is still very, like one of the most traumatic moments. Mm -hmm. But like, I was able to just be like, let's. We got this. Take it second by second. You know, we'll look at you. You're okay. And so I think it's, that's normal. Yeah, that is definitely the dynamic in our relationship. She's way more level-headed in the crisis. But then the day-to-day stuff is just like, we, I always say that she runs <laughs> in these like wild concentric circles and I'm just very slow and plodding from A to B. And we always wind up in the same spot. We just She's do just not cross. She's there first, but then she goes past it. And then she comes back again. She's always, always moving. She's like a Tasmanian devil. Mm. Um, Can't but in, at that moment, <laughs> I really... I. I can. I remember, like, my heart sank worse than it did on 9-11 because I was like, this It happened is again. It. This is it. This is bigger, you know, because I know this one thing. I have this one fact in my mm-hmm. head. And if I know that that happened, then, oh, my God, it's it's coming for us. You like, what so do we do next? You so close to being a prepper. I could have been a survivalist. Is that what you my mean? memory, a yeah. Prepper? Yeah, that's what they is call that what them. what they call them? A prepper? Yeah, you prep. Like, you have stuff prepped. Hmm. My, I'm the least prepared person for the apocalypse. My memory of the black. And if there's no coffee in the apocalypse, I'm out. Me, I'm talking. By the way, I'm sorry. I'm out. Go ahead. Thank you. Can y'all? Sorry. Uh, oh, now you made it harder for me. God now. damn it! Uh, you just bleep it. I said Manny Face's government name. Oh, everybody knows his name. I don't like he likes to use it though. I know, but his government name. That's what he calls it. Um, <laughs> he's gonna be mad because of crosstalk. Yep. Yes, he is. My memory of the blackout is very similar. I was playing an electric keyboard and then it stopped playing. <laughs> stopped playing. And it was like, you know, when the power goes out and it goes, and I was like, the power's out. <laughs> and then that was it. Yeah. It was really hot in my house. We didn't have a generator, but my friend, my best friend at the time, whose dad was an electrician, they had a generator. So I think I went over there and we swam. But I remember sleeping. Oh, we all, like me and my sister, uh, slept on the floor of my parents' room because, like, you know, we had the windows open and obviously anxious people sleeping with the windows open, scary. But I like I remember just like dying, like sweating. My sister was listening to her CD player to fall asleep. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I just remember being like, I want to stop. Was it hotter then or right now in the studio? Uh, equally as hot. <laughs> it's so fucking hot. At least I'm not on camera. I- I'm going to get you a powder puff. Melting. Am I am I glistening yet? No, just a smidgen. It's coming. Come and I can feel it. Should we get back into uh, talking to the unfuckers here? Do you know they want to hear about our 9-11 stories more? Wow. Jeez. Uh, where are we? I don't know. You brought up 9-11. My bad. The second email. It's, well, the third email. Something I guess catastrophic to trigger these kind of sliders back. Yes, oh, Pete so Well done. Sorry. <laughs> get into the, the, the second Whew. email. Uh, so now union fucker. Yeah. This is what happens when we record this late. Yeah. Because our brains are fried and we've fully coffeeed up. That's true. Um, I had a very, I had lunch today. Oh, me too, actually. Did you? Yes. Yeah, I haven't had a, a lunch lunch in since I started not eating lunches. Because I got here early, much earlier than I usually do, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to go eat and like, look what's happening. Yeah, we right. energy. The, wow, the bodies are nourished and, and so are our brains. Yeah, and our mm. pores are sweating. Yes. Union fucker says, what makes socialism any less corruptible than capitalism? As you've said many times, that capitalism in its current form has been bastardized and twisted to be unrecognizable from what it was intended to be. 
Saying all of this, I truly believe in implementing socialism into our democracy is a good thing. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I think that socialism, any government, any, okay. Remember the bifurcated look that we're taking at socialism. Socialism itself as a critique of capitalism and a suggestion of another economic system and structure would be less corruptible in theory. But I think that the what we have seen is that any attempt to transition too quickly to socialism has played out very poorly. You can look at actually Allende in Chile in the 1970s in an abrupt shift into socialism from uh, more of an authoritarian regime and centralized regime. And I think that experience has played out, the Soviet Union being the biggest example of it. Uh, and a socialist economic system can always be corrupted by external forces like the government. One of the things that we're trying to really tease out as the episodes go on is that you know Marx's theories left the government on mostly on the sidelines. And remember that the ultimate vision of the utopian socialist vision or ultimate Marxist vision was that the state would eventually wither away because the economic system would involve the masses to such degree that the need for any sort of state apparatus wouldn't really be necessary. That vision never came to life, will never come to life, and I think has been debunked by even the most scholarly of the of the Marxist scholars. But a, a socialist system within any sort of other government apparatus that has some bad intentions would be absolutely corruptible. But I think it would be less corruptible by the economic forces that um, you know that that are required to bring any system to life. So. Union fucker, I believe that, you know what, as your name implies, the as union fucker impl implies, unions themselves are very good organizations for the working class because they protect their ability to work. They protect their benefits in case they're hurt or they're sick. They create uh, collective bargaining agreements that raise equity and wages and, you know, certainly benefit a population so that they're basically any way you look at it. And at the same time, the power structures within unions are corruptible. And we saw that, I think, one of the biggest reasons that the trade unions and some of the service unions throughout the 60s and 70s came under fire is because they had gone, they had gotten so big and so influential at the top and consolidated power there uh, that uh, they were they were corrupted. So, yeah, I uh, everything is a sliding scale. Part of one of my great you know, one of the underlying thesis of, of the show itself is that whatever system we have, it has to be able to break against the natural forces of greed that we have as a society. That's something that's part of my personal belief system is that we are given the opportunity more inherently driven by greed than we are any anything that would be considered egalitarian. And so you need systems in place in order to buffer against that type of, of intrinsic greed that we all possess. So I don't think that any one system is less corruptible from a state apparatus perspective, but I think that socialism is less corruptible than capitalism, which is, I think, by nature designed to be corrupted. Inherently corrupt. Yeah, that's that's almost like what it's there for, unless you have socialist principles to to buffer it. So. Um, but yeah, I love your devil's advocate and thank you for pointing it out. And now we have a long one. Are you okay reading the whole thing from Bobby McDee? Because I love it. Yeah. Cool. So, oh, I also, before I continue, I want to tell people what happened about the form. 
Sure. So we have some emails in here that are from, came in from the contact form submission online, which we always talk about. And uh, the other day I was corresponding with an unfucker who was like, oh, I, I've sent in messages. And I was like, I don't have anything. And then I, I looked and I was like, oh no, the form notification is off. So it's been off since January. <laughs> so if you sent a, a form submission <laughs> between like January 23rd and yesterday, the 29th. Thankfully, there weren't that many, right? We only had yeah, 150, roughly, maybe a little less. So um, yeah, hopefully it was nothing urgent. And if you ever can't reach us, just email also. You know, they're both, both viable forms of contact, but... We're going to do a special edition show notes, uh, maybe next week with topical cream. Usually there's less feedback on those uh, and, and really just like plow through, you know, even some legacy episodes and everything. But if you submitted this week about the social the socialism episode, I, we got you. Yeah, we, we are in luck. That was an accidental slurring of my words. I'm just melting. Um, so, yeah, just letting you know. No but worries. Here we go. Bobby McDee. As you know, I'm a big fan of Vonnegut, not just as a writer, but also as a thinker. I can't be 100% sure, but I'm confident that the first time I encountered socialism as a concept was in his books. Names like Rosa Luxemburg and Eugene Debs popped up from time to time in his novels. One of Vonnegut's characteristic quirks were his often lengthy digressions and asides. As you're in the building phase of your socialism epic, might I make a suggestion? Many unfuckers are readers and love themselves a bit of literature, so how about a few words on writers who wrote about socialism? Orwell seems the obvious place to begin, but I think you get a pure, more American slant in the writers like Steinbeck, Upton Sinclair, and John Dos Passos, and of course, Vonnegut. You don't know who I, Dos No, Dos Passos. Passos. That's why I, I, I love this. Yeah. Here's the end of Vonnegut's address to the graduating class of Bennington College in 1970. You'll appreciate the sentiment and hopefully the humor. So let's divide up the wealth more fairly than we have divided it up so far. Let's make sure that everybody has enough to eat and a decent place to live and medical help when he needs it. Let's stop spending money on weapons, which don't work anyway, thank God, and spend money on each other. It isn't moonbeams to talk about modest plenty for all. They have it in Sweden. We can have it here. Dwight David Eisenhower once pointed out that Sweden, with its many utopian programs, had a high rate of alcoholism and suicide and youthful unrest. Even so, I would like to see America try socialism. If we start drinking heavily and killing ourselves, and if our children start acting crazy, we can go back to good old free enterprise again. And then Bobby continues with his words, I thoroughly enjoyed the level setter on socialism. Top-notch work as ever. The collaborative aspect of including listener definitions of socialism enriched the episode, apart from mine, which sounded stupid and ranty in comparison to the more thoughtful responses you got. Anyway, literary socialism somewhere in the future episode, please. Let me first uh, begin by disagreeing uh, with his last sentiment there, because I think actually the fact that he pointed out that his moderate views in Ireland would make him a rabid leftist and Truly. communist here uh, is was actually, I, I think, a really important point to make. And we've said it often, as have many other shows and pundits, that uh, Bernie's form of socialism is rather moderate in most of uh, the industrialized word, world. So uh, I think that that perspective is always needed and noted. Uh, I'm, I don't know anything about Dos Passos. So John Dos Passos, yeah. Upton Sinclair, The Jungle, I think is mandatory reading. That's a great suggestion. What about oil? I Oil, Also, I didn't read oil. I've read it. You did? Did you like it? Yeah, I was like, 14 
It, was that required reading for you, or no, you just read it? No, I do. I don't know. You're such a dork. I, I love think it. it was in the. I think it was in the. I'm 14 and I'm like I'm smart phase. So you know, it wasn't you know out of like pure interest. It was like mm-hmm, I'm reading this. So it's it's more funny to laugh about now. Yeah, at that point in my life, I, I was just trying to hide boners under the dinner table. Oh, so, well, thankfully yeah. I don't have that issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, thankfully for me, other people for you. Yeah. might be thankful they it's do fun. have it or don't have it. I don't want to pass judgment. Yep. Um, Steinbeck, I think I've said before that uh, Grapes of Wrath might be my favorite book of all time. Uh, so I love that idea. Vonnegut, and we've talked about this before, I, I never got down with Vonnegut. I need to revisit him for sure. His son is actually a fan of this show. No, don't don't trash his dad's work. Oh, no, no, I'm not trashing. I think a it was hero, a, a literary hero. It was above me. It was above me. Went, you know, in that phase when they require you to read that in school. And again, I I was studied business when I was in college, and I did not. I was not uh, an English major, or you know, didn't do any of that. The the proper literary work that I should have done at that phase in my life. I don't know the food. I don't. And when I dug into him when I was a younger person, it just was over my head. I couldn't vibe with it. it I don't know any. At least I mean, my school. It wasn't one of the books on like the curriculum. I did read Cat's Cradle, uh, probably when I was like. Sixteen, mm-hmm. seventeen, but mm-hmm. I think I picked it up on my own when was I was like exploring, yeah. you know, books. When I was like, "Oh, G.D. Salinger is the epitome of the American writer." Hmm. Do you know Zoe Deschanel is named after one of his books? Fun fact for any and Zoe. Is that right? Yeah, that's why it's two O's. Zoe. Yeah, like the book. Oh. Yeah, it turns out he was, you know, molester like everyone else. J.D. was. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. I know. Yeah. Really ruins, but. Doesn't ruin anything for me because I'm not a fan. He admitted it in in uh, Catcher in the Rye. It's just like uh, it's even is it you who has I, read that? No, I've read it and I hate it. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's terrible? a book. It's it. the Donnie Darko of books. I don't, I'm missing the reference. You don't know what Donnie Darko is? Mm-mm. Oh wow! Not that anyone asked. Not that anyone ever asks. But oh my god, I hated Donnie Darko. I hate. I thought it was oh it's you oh you hear about it you got to go see the cult fan classic oh oh it is a jake gyllenhaal uh and maggie gyllenhaal maybe 2001 to three uh drew barrymore is also in it where he's this like this is a show no it's a movie and he's like a a moody teenager and there's weird time things in it like the timeline is it's not uh fluid it's very in the same way with you know reading catcher in the rye you're like this is literature it's like this is what movies this are is cinema yeah exactly like there's this whole thing where drew barrymore is the english teacher and she's like i think the most beautiful phrase in the english language is cellar door and it's like it's just high 16 year old mm. pretension mm. so to me that's that's where the it's it's a one-to-one like you should watch it now and you'd be like cringing really yeah and there's this like man in a bunny suit named Frank. And it's oh, like a obviously. scary bunny bunny suit. And he follows him around. And like at one point he's like, why are you wearing that rabbit suit? And he's like, why are you wearing that stupid human suit? It's yeah. Mm. You should watch it. Should I? No, God. No, God, please. No. I think. No. Honestly, yes. No. I think. No. I would love to know a first time viewer at your age. Watch it with your youngest. Maybe she might find it transcendental. Okay. No! All right. It's a little spooky. With, you know, Frank's a little, he's a little yucky to look at. 
Okay. Okay. Sinclair Lewis, can we include him? Um, I don't know who that is. Babbitt. I enjoyed Babbitt. It's just very, um, very depressing. Anyway. Did you have to read Things Fall Apart? Uh, no, my daughter just read The Things We Carry or something. No, like that. Not very Things different. We Fall Apart, no. It uh, was the worst book I read in high school. Things Fall Apart, no. Yeah, it was about Okonkwo, I think that was his name. It, it was about like a native culture, but it didn't under... It, it, I, I hope, hopefully this isn't offensive. It just had no point. And it was all about like yams, and, like growing yams and what mm. yams meant to society. Mm. And I felt, I found it really Love hard some yams. to find symbolism in that book. Mm. We spent like a whole semester on it or whatever we, a quarter, I suppose, in high school. And that, that Did you year, read Watership Down? I didn't. I actually, weirdly, I was in, I was in English honors. Not, that's not the weird part that I think makes sense. For me being a that tracks a wordy loser or a, a pretentious wordy loser, but we I feel like I missed a lot of the classic books. Mm. Like I didn't read Mice and Men. I didn't read 1984. I didn't read Brave New World. Like a lot of these books, a lot of, they were in the like the regulars classes. Read all of those, and we didn't. Mm. I read trying to think of like what I read in school that would be a class. I read Catcher in the Rye. I read Brave New World as an adult. I didn't read it in high school. Um, They should just stop teaching Shakespeare. It should be like an elective. I think it's stupid. (laughs) I never really jived with Shakespeare. You know what my daughter took that I was was so envious? She took uh, the Bible as literature. It was great because she picks up on so many more uh, biblical references that are in everyday life than I do. Mm. Um, And it's, it's just because of that book. Fascinating stuff. That's the way to approach that book. In my mm. opinion. I don't even, I've never heard of it. No? The Bible? <laughs> the course. No, I. I I'm a dum-dum. No, I actually, I, I genuinely just... met the course or whatever. <laughs> a Course in Miracles. Um, I read A Lord of the Flies. Apparently Pete Holmes is in the middle of taking A Course in Miracles. Of course he is. Yeah. That's very Pete Holmes though. Yeah. Because he loves, what's that guy who died? Eckhart Tolle? Or no, he's alive, Tolle? unfortunately. What is his name? I the, He was on a podcast I listened to, and I I know. It's an ASMR nightmare. Yes. And yeah. oh, just, it was like, it's worse than Gnome. Mm-hmm. It's worse than Gnome. Mm-hmm. It's like he's intentionally, was intentionally trying to put me to sleep. Mm-hmm. And also, he's kind of culty. Yeah. I remember I had an audio book of his, a CD, and I tried to listen to it, and I was like, oh. CD. Yeah. Piggy has the conch. That? From Lord of the Flies. Oh. Just trying to get us back on track. Thank you. Hey, Max. This is from Neil H. I loved your first episode on socialism. At the end, you had a line about bringing ecology into economic and political thinking and how this nexus is where so much interesting thinking is happening now. You went on to say something about bringing in writers from the discourse. It's not in your essay, and I was really curious to read more on this topic. Can you point me in the direction of any resources? Short answer is yes. Longer answer is, but not right now, only because there's a few resources that I'm interested in, but it wouldn't be the first time that I've taken a look at them and then realized that maybe they've, they don't fulfill the promise of, of what I was hoping they would. There's a few writers that I mentioned, I think off the cuff at the end of the, at the end of the episode that I did not include in there. Um, Yeah. Like Harcourt. I don't think he was in the essay or maybe he was. So there were some that you said that, that. I can stand on uh, critique and praxis by Bernard Harcourt, um, building on the the illusion of free markets and any basically anything that he's written. 
but there were a couple of others in there that I'm not as familiar with. So I don't want to just like go out there and say that I'm interested in learning more about them. And I think I'm going to be incorporating them into our post-socialism dialogue. Uh, and I will begin to list those out. So I will get to it for sure. Uh, thank you for bringing that back up. Uh, now we have Dan M who said that was beautiful, pure enjoyment start to finish. I particularly appreciated the start with dialectics and the recognition that socialism is inherently a criticism of capitalism. Later in the email, Dan says, at the risk of being pedantic, in my humble opinion, it's worth relentlessly hammering the point that just as our understanding and practice of capitalism has changed to be almost unrecognizable as the concept Adam Smith first described without naming it. Prescriptively bringing socialism into the future will require similar evolution, particularly in light of climate realities, population growth, and the destructive capability of modern militaries. Yeah, I would I would suggest that um, social democrats, as we went through that distinction, is much closer to Adam Smith's original intent of capitalism. So I will relentlessly hammer that home as we go through it, because when we do the history, we're going to have to go back into uh, what Adam Smith was writing at the time because he was more of a contemporary with Bentham, Beccaria, and some of the original thinkers that would be more closely aligned, at least today, with uh, socialism. Um, but he was a contemporary of theirs. And then there are there are a few others that are going to be, I think, really important to us from that time period. And they were all talking in and around the same type of concepts. What Smith did similar to what Marx did was he really went a little bit deeper into developing an economic framework. Um, and that's why I think he's so closely uh, aligned with capitalism. So yes, absolutely. But I, again, I do think that what we consider social democracy today, um, what Bernie Sanders calls democratic socialism, which is actually social democracy, is closer to what Adam Smith originally intended. So good on you. Allison L said, hey, Max, 99 and Manny Faces. As I was listening to episode one of Understanding Socialism, I was struck by just how fucking ignorant we are as a country about socialism and communism. I can't help but wonder, what was the role of the Red Scare and McCarthyism in our current lack of understanding socialism? Allison, I will tell you that right now that is on the map for part four, when we delve specifically into American socialism, the history of it, where it lives right now, and the challenges that we face in uh, in approaching any sort of um, programs, policies, structures that would resemble classic socialism as we go forward. And a lot of that is because of the Red Scare. I don't want to hang it just on the Red Scare, as we'll see the forces against socialism and communism understood at the time to kind of be the same thing prior to World War II we're already gathering against it. And we'll see some of the interventions from the top, from the, not only just the moneyed class, but also some of the, um, some of the elected officials to really begin to paint socialism and communism and unions into the same anti-democratic corner. That was very deliberate prior to the Red Scare. So I think that the table was set and it was very easy for us to get to a point where we besmirched communism and socialism and Bolsheviks and Stalinism and Leninism, and we put everything into the same bucket at the exact same time. And then, of course, throughout the 50s, then you had the Cuban Revolution. Then we have the uh, what happened in uh, Southeast Asia growing as well. And the Red Scare kind of grew and, and ballooned from there and turned into a very big 
enterprise that we refer to, of course, now as the military industrial complex, but that there became an economic incentive to have an anti-communist rhetoric in this country because it did help build up the, the military and construct that apparatus. But prior to that, this was already in the works. There were, a, there were so many moneyed interests in the United States that were virulently opposed to any sort of socialist tendencies prior to even to the Great Depression. So we're going to go through that history, but there's no question that would put the nail in the coffin for anybody even talking about communism or socialism in this country was the Red Scare and what d developed through the 1950s. So great stuff. There's a good uh, American Scandal miniseries about McCarthyism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think it'll touch on socialism, but if anyone's interested in learning more. It's a great pod. Also, Pete Holmes was obsessed with Ram Dass and he died. Ram Dass. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Got so it, it makes sense to me that okay. I, I was like, I know who it is, but I couldn't place it. But yeah, he, oh, he's just searching. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, he I don't think he I think he just likes to learn like and he is a little woo woo, but like not in a bad way. I have you ever watched his the I guess it's his old TBS show. It wasn't his show. It was the shorts and the, he had like a video production company and he used to do Batman. Yeah, I think he I think it was like a, like sketches from his show. Was it? OK, yeah. his Batman sketches to me. I I mean, by my by myself alone will guffaw and laugh out loud. I haven't listened in a while because of how I mean, I just, you know, you fall in and out of podcasts, but mm. I used to love you made it weird. Yeah, like, I never listened to it. He would, you know, I would I wouldn't listen to everybody, but. Occasionally I'd listen to somebody I didn't really know, um, but he would have a lot of like comedians and actors on that I liked. And some of it was like the funniest shit I've ever fucking heard, <laughs> like crying, laughing. And they fuck with him a lot, too. Oh, he's yeah. He's such and a punching knows, bag in a good way. He knows. He knows he's annoying. He knows his laugh is annoying. <laughs> like he's so aware and it's part of his brand. And I think it's why people love him is because yeah. he's like a big mush. You know, mm -hmm. he's just like a sweet guy. I follow him and his wife on Instagram. They're very happy. They have Aww. a daughter and a dog. Cute. His dog. He's a golden retriever. Mm. Maybe one of the cutest dogs I've ever seen. Goldens are yummy. Just like a special face. Mm. Brody, I think his name is. Oh. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't I can't vouch for it today how the podcast, you know, has evolved. But I used to love it. Okay. Okay. I'm truly dying. It's so fucking hot. No idea how hot it is. <laughs> I can't even think. <laughs> Um, okay, this is from Harry. Hi, listening to the first socialism episode. I wanted to share the definition of socialism that I use. I distinctly remember listening to a recording of Frank Zeidler on the radio. Mm. In this recording, Zeidler said that socialism is when the members of a community come together and democratically decide what is best for the community. I've searched the web for this recording, but I haven't found it. The end. Someone find this. Help Harry out. Democratically decide what is best for the community. Okay, yeah, I dig that. Um... So either was a mayor, big time mayor. Huge, uh, big time. Huge. Uh, no, that was Seidler, <laughs> Milwaukee. I think he was the last socialist mayor in the country. I wouldn't call Milwaukee huge, at least like on the national stage. Big time socialist mayor. Okay, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, no offense to the Milwaukeeans out there. Milwaukeeites? Milwalkers? I told you I went to Milwaukee once and I was like, this is a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. Oh, I, I'm every smaller Pittsburgh, or, same thing. Every state that I don't know where it is or I think is small, 
Um, I'm sure their cities are way cooler than ours. I'm St. just Louis, a New York asshole. Way cooler than I thought it was going to be. Boise, lit. Seriously? I swear. Did you say lit? Yeah, I did. Boise's lit. It is lit. It's the first time that's ever been uttered. Uh, I bet it's their slogan. Maybe. Okay. When I went to Portland. Welcome to Boise. We're lit. Their slogan was like, make this your permanent vacation. They want. They were like begging people Which to- one? Uh, Maine. They were begging people <laughs> to move there and work, to work there. Okay. Like the airport, it looked like a country store, first off. And then they were like, Portland, your new work home. <laughs> so like, what if six months of the year it's like Greenland? I it's know. It's awesome here. Yeah, it was fun. Again, no offense. It was bigger than I thought. It wasn't a walkable city. First of all, with climate change, New York is really, it's becoming the new North Carolina. Everybody that moved to North Carolina, by the way. They're mad. From New York. Because they, they're living in Florida now. Huge mistake. You're in Florida. That exact exactly right. All right, Alex P. said, I've been a listener from the beginning. Thank you, Alex. I credit this show for single-handedly starting my political interest. Bless you, Alex. And then I saw your video on Marianne Williamson and RFK. I disagree that they're harmful, and I think that if the DNC believes in democracy at all, they should hold primaries that Biden may not win. The statement that really threw me for a loop was the reference to the squad being a vanguard party in the mold of Leninism. If I actually said that, that I don't expressly, think you did. I would walk that back, but I... I think it was in response to a listener email, and you were saying, like, akin to. Yeah. I don't think you said, this is that. That we need to move, we need to fill, we need to take over the Democratic Party from the inside by putting in more establishment, progress, more, get rid of the establishment Democrats and put in more progressives and overturn the Democratic Party from the inside because the apparatus is fully in place through all the states so that we can win elections. But the Vanguard Party starts with really teaching the people... I think the reference that I made was kind of like what Bannon is doing all the way down to precinct captains. That's the type of like in it, the, of political indoctrination that we need to build through the lens of progressivism. Um, so Maybe we don't talk about indoctrinating people. No, <laughs> doesn't seem like our okay. language. <laughs> enlightening, 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 enlightening people into the political process. I wholeheartedly disagree with this statement. I think it's not only this. Not only is the squad sorely dysfunctional, lots of them, many of them are just as bad as the corporate Democrats when it comes to their personal interest in actually getting stuff done. We can have, a, I think, a healthy debate on that. And I would, I would, you know, land at times on that, I think on it, your side of the state. It statement. goes back to the thing, like we said, it's, they're one person in a machine. Yep. They're not going to be able to get their personal agendas and personal beliefs across all the time. So if we, if we hold them to that high of a standard, hold everybody else to the same standard, not just scrutinize them. Right. Like, it's probably more practical to scrutinize the people fucking it up than the people who are compromising to make it work. Yeah, and again, you know, we used to have, there were there were 20 out of 435. Now there's like 90 out of 435. I'll take that trend all day, every day, but not all of them are going to be, like we talked about some of the performative ones that call themselves progressive, but aren't really like the, the woman that ran against Nina Turner and won. She's not really progressive. They held her out as progressive. Nancy Pelosi calls herself a progressive, mm -hmm. crying out loud. So, like, yes, a lot of them are performative. She I think says, most I've of the squad is right. What's that? I've made progress. I've made progress. I wear progressives, for Christ's sake. <laughs> that so. was the Chuck Schumer voice. <laughs> well, they're one person in my mind now. I think there was a whole movement just to get Ro Khanna to stop investing in weapons manufacturers. So Ro Khanna is somebody that I really, really like, and I'm struggling to get behind to a greater extent, because I do think that he compromises and does side uh, with the war machine 
more than the others. So again, I think it's a more nuanced conversation than this, but I'm certainly willing to give uh, to give a lot of room here for the, for the discussion, Alex, and I agree. Uh, and, and I was ready to, to jump ship from this show as a whole, but then we decided to embark on the journey into socialism, and Alex P. is, is giving us another chance here and offers a couple pieces of advice that I really, really like. One is don't dismiss the Soviet Union too easily. Now, Alex writes a really long email. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Alex, just trust that a lot of this is going to be worked into uh, the episodes coming up. Number two, please cover in depth the third world revolutions. Agreed. And that's why I also mentioned that in, I think, part three, we're not just going to talk about the the big time, you know, Maoism, Leninism. We're also going to talk about some of the uh, socialist movements throughout Africa and uh, South America as well. Not necessarily always third world, but the third world movements that have either been successful and helped to lift a lot of people out of poverty, poverty, or the socialist poverty. movements in third world countries that we have absolutely crushed and never gave a chance to really germinate and become and, and blossom because they have natural resources that obviously we want to take. Uh, the third one is don't forget the effects of colonialization in the socialist struggle. I got it. I'm on it. Thank you for that. And socialism in America. I'm sure you'll talk about Eugene Debs at great length and rightfully so. Uh, don't forget about Chairman Fred Hampton, in my opinion, one of the greatest Americans to ever live, and the Maoist Black Panthers. This is so Alex is hitting so many super important notes. You can't talk about the struggle, just like you can't talk about anti-war initiatives in this country without talking about the civil rights struggle and what Martin Luther King Jr. brought to the forefront and the real reason that he was so feared among the political establishment in this country was because of his anti-war efforts first and then his anti-poverty efforts second. The 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 civil rights is movement, even though he was obviously, I, I mean, they went to war against him and his entire organization. And personal life. And his personal life. I mean, they, they one side and down the other, but they, the re, so they were always tracking him in that way and they were always trying to, to sideline him and marginalize him. But when they went to war with him, it was because of his anti-war stance and his anti-poverty because they Ironic. said, here's the, the most successful civil rights leader in the country talking about the third rail in American politics, which is criticizing the military industrial complex. So um, to exclude any sort of black movement in this country or any other marginalized group in this country, again, we could go back and we could talk about the Jewish leaders in the 1930s and the 40s that that came into this country, when we had the huge influx of Jewish migrants into this country, many of them were socialists coming from Eastern Europe. That was a huge piece of the puzzle. A lot of the, the, the black movement throughout the 50s and the 60s came at it from a, from a socialist perspective economically, but also in building a society. And much of that was built on ideas of pan-Africanism that they wanted to, you know, maybe pick up the movements and bring them ultimately to their own homeland and, and birth socialist states back in Africa. So it's really, it's a really dynamic, it, it, that's why it's going to be hard to do even in just four parts, but I'm excited to get into it. But I think what you're, what you're suggesting here is super important. There's always the big names, the ones that get all of the attention like Eugene Debs. Um, but we have to make sure that we're also crediting those movements on the ground for bringing these things to fruition 
way before even, uh, you know, the popularized figures that get whitewashed through history do. So good stuff. Well, we're on to general emails. So Daniel P. said, I heartily approve of your growing obsession with systems theory. So to feed that obsession, I'd love to mention a book that I consider an enduring classic in that field. Thinking in Systems by Donella Meadows. Ordered. And thank you. Nice. Love this. And uh, Rob H. left, uh, you know. The most important. The most important comment. Hello. LFGM. That's all. Why don't you translate that, 99? Large fucking nope, guns, nope, man. Nope, 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 nope. Sorry. It's the other one. Look forward. Go nope. back. Come on now. Come on. You got this. Long frogs gonna migrate. Why are you doing this? Let's fucking go, Marlins. No. Mm. You done? I can't think of any other teams with M names, so yes. Obviously, you love sitting in this sauna, right? I know. I just like torturing you, though. <laughs> Let's fucking go, Mets. Woo! Boom. Put it in the box. We are playing 500 ball, baby. Woo! Never see us coming. Sure. That's what they say every year. Quickly over on YouTube, and I mean it quickly. Just going to read these off. Yoshimans, Yoshiman XL. Oh my God. Mm -mm. Do you want to correct me? No, you Yoshiman XL. The second time, okay. but I'm just laughing. It's responding to the Washington Consensus episode, which came out a little while ago, said, I argue that GDP growth is a questionable indicator of economic success, mainly because it does not show how growth is divided and where weaknesses are in economic structures. Boom. Agreed. Joanna said, respond, in response to the student debt crisis video, I took out 40000 in student loans for a Bachelor of Science, and now I'm a math teacher. My student loans are now 80000 and any kind of reform would help me get a house for my daughter's senior year of high school, as it stands for the past 18 years because of my student loans. I cannot get a house. It's fucked up. It's so fucked up. We're going to revisit student debt when the Supreme Court makes its decision um, I don't know if it'll be in show notes or another topical cream because we kind of have to see what the Biden administration does from there. My guess is they do strike down forgiveness, uh, which should be a disaster. Either way, back to our central theme and our original thesis about it, the Biden administration did more than every other administration in order to attempt to get relief. And they did continue, even though this debt ceiling negotiation is going to fuck this up too. They're probably going to restart the payments at the end of the summer as no. part, part of this agreement. Yep. Um, so they're giving away on that and they're probably going to lose at the Supreme Court. <laughs> so that means that everything that the Biden administration has done for student debt relief will wind up basically falling flat and they're going to be starting back at zero. <sighs> but either way, and that is devastating. I mean, devastating. Yeah, that's money I don't fucking have. Yeah, but either way, to do this right, the whole system has to be reformed. Go back and listen to our student debt episode for how we would how we would do that. And if we were able to actually have a thinking Congress put together an actual plan and let the Department of Education really run with this. I will link uh, all the episodes we've done on student debt in show notes. Grazie. And live life whimsically. This is awesome. I'm only putting this in because it's a check-in from an old friend. Max, 99, Manny, long time no talk. Love in the YouTube format. So much easier to turn you guys on to my friends. Darling Mickey. Darling Mickey. She's back over on YouTube now. We've been having, like I said, all our old friends are checking in. So great. I'm glad you're still here. Good to hear from you. All right. And I'm going to crush through these coffee donations. Make it happen. Videoing Alex is now a member. Tim G is now a member who said, keep up the great work. 
Uh, they're a Minnesota unfucker if that's a thing. And then Sarah R. bought five coffees. Whoa, just found you guys. Where the fuck have I been? Addicted. Good stuff. Okay, everybody. That's a wrap. 99 and I are going to go put our head in the refrigerator for a little while. I'm going freezer. <laughs> you can have the fridge. Okay. I think there's some spilled matcha powder in there, so. Whatever. Or no, right, I might be, um, some I think it's spirulina. I, you, considering one of our office mates, you don't even know what Oh, it no, no, be. it's from the other one. For real? From his juices. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Later on, fuckers. Bye. Flip. I can cock. Mm-hmm. And I can spray. Yep.